Father in heaven, thank you that you are our Father and that there is a heaven. And uh, that you want that heaven to ultimately be again on earth. And you have consistently been advancing your truth and people have come to know more and more about the great controversy and how it is that you are a loving God. And we ask that that would happen more again today as we study in Christ's name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4. As I was thinking about the messages for today, I thought of this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And as I thought of that text, I thought about the situation that much of the world finds itself in today. Are people today troubled in the world? Do they feel as though they're troubled on every side? Uh, I heard this morning that there are governors who are shutting down state borders. I heard the other day that there are governments that are shutting down their airline um, travel. In fact, I went to pick up a family member just yesterday who got out of a country over in Africa just before all the planes were shut down because people are troubled and distressed, but, and they're also perplexed. What do we do? How do we handle the situation? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we relate to something that we don't seem to understand? And what do we do with so many people being cast down, falling down, actually dying? And yet, in this passage, we find the author of most of the New Testament saying, we're troubled but not distressed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. How many would like to know the secret to such calm under pressure? This is what we want to talk about today because I don't want you, but I need that kind of recipe. Um, in, in Weimar Institute here, <clears throat> we have a, a uh, kind of a crisis team that's been meeting every day and has to stay in, in touch with what's being said as much as we can understand that and then work together to make recommendations. And I got to tell you, that's been a pretty stressful situation to just try and figure out what's being said. So 
This text is for me today, too, just like you. You know, as they study trauma, they have something called post-traumatic stress disorder that can develop. People get really stressed out, and they um, deal with it for some time afterwards in many cases. And I read a book recently by Harold Connick called Hope and Healing with those for those with PTSD. And uh, Harold Connick was a, is a physician at Duke University in charge of a part of that university that studies religion and spirituality. But he was a medical student out here at one time and he went through some traumatic times in his own life, got kicked out of medical school, and found himself homeless under a bridge and asked God to help him out. And he read a Bible, I think it was a um, text in Proverbs that said, talked about publishing the name of God abroad. And he said to God, he said, you know, if you help me through this time of trial, I will publish your name abroad. And now he is the principal author of most articles that deal with religion, spirituality, and health. So he wrote this book, Hope, Healing, and for Those with PTSD. And he started out by giving the diagnostic um, DSM five, I guess, edition of uh, what it means to have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a psychiatric disorder that people develop after experiencing a severely stressful event. And some people are definitely going through <laughs> seriously stressful events today. The stressful event must be a catastrophic one that involves actual or threatened death or injury, or threat to physical integrity of the person or others through either direct exposure to the trauma, witnessing the trauma happen to someone else, learning about someone else's trauma, being repeatedly exposed to the results of traumatic events. Do you think that's happening today? Those kind of things. Now, I kind of summarized it. It has some more verbiage in there. It actually spells out different traumas. So I thought... I just won't do that. I wanted it all on one slide. But the whole idea is going through trauma yourself or seeing someone else go through it or hear about it. And if you're watching the news these days, that's all you're hearing. <laughs> all you're hearing is about traumatic events. And the symptoms then fall in four categories. Uh, after this happens, intrusions, recurrent involuntary memories, nightmares, or flashbacks. Avoidance, efforts to avoid trauma-related tra tra thoughts, feelings, or external reminders such as people, activities, situations, smells, sounds, places, or movies. So avoidance. Yesterday I flew with Dr. Nedley in his small plane to pick up a family member that was coming in a large plane. And we went and we landed uh, not at the San Francisco airport because it's a big airport and you have to pay a lot of money to land there, but in a smaller airport nearby. And then there was supposed to be a limousine that would take us over 
to pick up my family member, and uh, and we went into the to the shop there, a little airport, and the man had a mask on, he had gloves on, and he stood back from us, I don't know, a long ways, asked us what we wanted, and he, he said, uh, would you mind driving yourself to the airport? And we said, uh, sure. And he said, here are the keys. Put the keys on the counter. And we drove ourselves. He was very fearful. He wanted to avoid. He wanted to avoid possible exposure. He had been traumatized by something, probably the news. I didn't ask him, but I don't know exactly what it was, but I have a, a suspicion. Then when we got to the airport, I've been to that airport many times, many times, and when I've been there, there's been hundreds of people, hundreds of people. There are probably less than, uh, in, in, in this whole area where we're picking up bags and stuff, probably five people five people, and, and they were all very far away from each other. Avoidance. Negative moods or thoughts associated with the trauma. Persistent negative beliefs and expectations of oneself or others. Fear, anger, guilt, shame, decreased interest, detachment, difficulty experiencing emotions such as love and care for others. Even though my family member was there, I was a little nervous about hugging them, touching them, because I was stressed out about what I had heard and about how things can be transmitted. I brought trash bags with me to put their, their luggage in. I had hand sanitizer. I had a clean set of clothes for them so they could take a shower and change. So thoughts or beliefs or precautions Changes in arousal or reactivity, irritable, aggressive, self-destructive, hypervigilant, easily startled, difficulty concentrating, difficulty sleeping. We went back to the place where we had taken the car and we walked in and the man that had let us use the car, he didn't see us come in, but I said hello and he jumped. He was, he was hypervigilant. And then I went in and he goes, could I help you with something? <laughs> I said, could I use some of your hand sanitizer? And he goes, okay. So, changes in arousal or reactivity. And it almost would seem funny, but it's not. Because <laughs> people are traumatized. Now, one or two symptoms in each of those four categories is required for the diagnosis of PTSD, so avoid, avoidance and hypersensitivity and stuff. You have to have at least two of those or it's not PTSD. Symptoms to the trauma must last for at least one month immediately after the trauma or may emerge months or years after the trauma. So uh, nobody has PTSD yet from the events that have gone, over, gone on over the last few weeks, maybe at least in this country. In other countries... Maybe in Italy, maybe they do, but by definition. And they cause significant distress or problems with social, occupational, recreational functioning, 
and C, they cannot be the result of medication, substance abuse, or other psychiatric illness that might better explain the symptoms. So PTSD is a very specific thing. But I would say, as I remembered this uh, diagnosis today, that certainly people could be set up at this point for experiencing PTSD. How many think that might be true from the situation? Now, there's another thing that goes along with this called moral injury and PTSD. And moral injury is not PTSD, but it's related. If you have a moral moral injury, it can increase PTSD. Moral injury occurs in the setting of PTSD, but it's not PTSD. It's um, the reflects the deleterious or negative effects of war participation or other severe trauma or on moral conscience and ethical conceptions. The wrecking of a person's fundamental assumptions of what's right how things should work in the world that may result from a sense of having violated one's moral identity and lost any reliable, meaningful world in which to live. Moral injury involves acts of moral compromise or the violation of values or beliefs by oneself or others that potentially threaten the soldier's ability to admire or even recognize themselves or trust in the reality of others in the world. So moral injury happens when you think, I did something terrible, or something terrible is happening that is rocking my idea about what's right and wrong. If there is a God, how could this happen? If there is a God, how could people die like this? Moral injury. Now, of course, just remember that if you have a concept of right and wrong, of evil, you have to have a concept of right and perhaps of God. So you haven't lost everything if you have a sense of right and wrong and you do have a sense of of some belief. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So reducing moral injury will decrease PTSD symptoms, enable the traumatized to utilize their religious resources more fully in dealing with trauma and respond more readily to secular treatments as well. So the whole idea here is If someone is in risk of having PTSD, or if they have that, or moral injury, if you can address those issues, they will be helped, not only with that sense of moral injury, but with the uh, traumatic event itself. And this is where the research is fairly interesting. There's many different ways to deal with this. I'm not going to go through all the treatments. This isn't a class. But there's many different ways that... Um, you know, you go through this, but I, I did notice something that I thought was interesting. Pastoral care and support doesn't require a state licensure, but it's the most common thing sought out when someone has PTSD, above all other treatments combined. Many individuals consult the clergy first when having a difficulty, and clergy are likely to see those with serious mental disorders as mental health professional as likely and perhaps even more likely because of their sheer numbers they perform nearly as much counseling as the entire membership of the american psychological association i can't think of a more important thing to be than a pastor i can't think of something maybe a nurse because they're kind of a pastor as well but maybe a person a pastor and a nurse 
And I would say that everybody should have a pastoral uh, um, perspective. Um, how many of you understand what I'm saying? But to be, um, in that, that is such, a, um, such an important thing. What is the role of religious faith? Uh, well, religious faith has been dealing with PTSD and moral injury for thousands of years. And they now are noticing that building spiritual strength, which is actually a technical term, if you search it in the literature, actually helps. And they have a way of doing this. And they have clinical trials now that show that it reduces PTSD. And then another, spiritually integrated cognitive processing therapy is another type of therapy that is actually using the scriptures or beliefs to challenge dysfunctional thoughts and to help people through these times of trauma. And so there's now, <laughs> you might say, research that's documenting the effectiveness of, of what's been happening for thousands of years. So let's look now, with that in mind, on this text that we started with today. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now, if you were to read the Apostle Paul's life, how many of you think that he had some traumatic situations? He was beaten. He was left for dead. <laughs> he, uh, um, he went through all kinds of things. And here in 2 Corinthians, we pick up his situation in chapter 4 when we read these verses. So what was it that gave him this perspective? What a picture of poise we saw in that text. There was a friend of mine that used to work here, Dr. Randy Siebold, and he had in his office this picture. Um, this is a picture of a lighthouse that's just surrounded by a massive waves, and you see that person standing there in the door. He's got peace amidst the storm. He's, he's poised, even though surrounded by crashing waves. Troubled on every side, but not distressed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Cast down, not destroyed. This is exactly what we need today. Isn't it? That's the picture. Now, how did he, what gave him such peace? First of all, his sense of purpose. Look with me on 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's work now towards that text. We're going to work towards it and past it to understand it. First of all, what gave him such peace was his sense of purpose. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry... We have received mercy, and we do not lose heart. The best thing that can help you through a time of trial and trauma is to have a sense of purpose in it. To have a ministry. In his case, it was a testimony of mercy. The mercy that had been extended to him. That now he could extend to others. He'd been traumatized, so he could help others in trauma. 
He had a sense of purpose, of ministry. And this is so important. It's going to come up again and again in this passage. Thinking not just about yourself, but about someone else helps you so much in times of trauma or stress. What was that sense of purpose? Verse 3, even if our gospel is, it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are lost. Well, who is he trying to minister to? To people who are lost. He has a sense of, 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 of purpose, a sense of ministry. He says, well, I might be going through this traumatic time, but there are people that don't even know what I know, and they need to know what I know. They need to know who I know. Does that make sense? So a sense of purpose. My purpose is to, to share that. Have you ever had to go to the hospital, go through a traumatic situation where you had a surgery or something, or you yourself were injured and you're going, why did this happen to me? But then you just say, well, maybe it's to reach the people in the hospital. <laughs> maybe it's to share a testimony with someone who's in, who's taking care of me. And you're shifting your focus because you have this sense of purpose. Look at verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the purpose was to have a ministry of how God reached me when I was blind. Was Paul ever blinded? Did he ever have a traumatic, blinding experience? And who was trying to reach him? And so now he's saying, look, I was blind, but now I see. Now I need to help others. I have to reach those who are lost and blind. It's bad enough to be lost. But then you're blind on top of it. <laughs> I need to reach them. So open the eyes to the gospel of Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Number five, look at this, verse five. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Christ's sake. So we do not preach ourselves. It's not for me. It's for the lost. It's for others. Look at the end of verse seven. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. So there's this idea of self-forgetfulness. It's not me. It's not myself. It's someone else. This is his secret to calm and peace. How many want to have this other focus? How many want to have self-forgetfulness um, in trying situations? Secondly, it was his sense of perspective. Look at verse 10 through 12. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are already delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working on us, but life in you. Look at this. 
his sense of perspective is this. He says, I'm not that worried about my body. My mortal flesh. I'm immortal. I'm not immortal. Eventually, I'm going to die. And I'm okay with that. It's not about my body. It's not about my mortal flesh. It's not about my suffering. It's not even about my death. I'm going to die. I almost died many times. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I have gone through near-death experiences many times. And you know what God did with those near-death experiences? He used them to point people to Jesus. And he may use it again. I think what's feeding a lot of fear out there is the fear of death. What if I die? What if someone I love dies? Now, I think that's natural. Nobody here wants to, does anybody here want to die? But Paul had died even before he died. He says, look, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. So he had come to grips with this protect, self-protection of his body and focusing so much on his mortality. How many of you are not there yet, but you'd like to be there? This is the secret of his calm. This is the secret of his poise, his sense of perspective. He saw the living Christ, or heard about him. He saw him in Revelation. He saw that he had died, <laughs> right? And had faced death. That was his sense of, his sense of uh, perspective. Verse 13. He then sees his situation as what? And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. <laughs> so he's saying here, what is he saying? You know what? This is an opportunity to share my belief. Now, those of you who have worked in the medical profession, you know, you maybe dealt with many people who are dying. And uh, some people will tell me, you know, you don't want to bring religion or spirituality, uh, you know, when people are vulnerable. I think that is complete baloney. Now, I may not be saying certain things to them or holding out, you know, religious tracts or things, although I have done that, it's appropriate. But I want to act like Christ next to them so much so that they ask me about it. You know what I'm saying? I want them to come to belief. And there's nothing that's been more precious to me than to lead people to Christ on their deathbed. And their family. That's the best thing. <laughs> That's a sense of purpose. Perspective. <laughs> it's not about my body. It's not about me. It's about leading you to belief. Why can he have such confidence? 
Look at verse 14. Why was it that he had such poise? Because he knew something. Verse 14. Knowing. He knows this. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. (laughs) Do you love that text? What is it that gives him such poise? Jesus died and he rose again. And he has the power of resurrection. And even if I die, He's not worried about his body, his mortality, because he goes, even if I die, this mortality will put on immortality and this corruption, incorruption. 1 Corinthians 15. At the last trump. And he believes that. He not only believes that Jesus died and rose again, but that same Jesus will come and raise him again. And not only him, he said, not only him, but also you. So he links the two together. His mortality, the person's mortality he's talking to, the mortality of Christ when he came, and how he died and rose again. This gives him a peace that passes understanding of those who have not accepted the gospel. How many want to have that peace? And you might be watching today or here today, you may not have that. What we do in the Christian church, when people say, look, I want to have that peace, is we actually, (laughs) you might say, kill them, (laughs) or they die. Symbolically go down, and they're baptized. This is why we have, we don't have sprinkling in the New Testament. It's not there. This is not a time for sprinkling. I don't need a little bit of, you know, it's like someone who tries to get healthy by putting a little oat bran on his steak. It's not going to help. Or a little, you know, uh, essential oils on top of his spaghetti or something. No, it's not going to help. This is a death. I'm going down. And I'm going to be raised again. That's a symbol of it. And it really happens. People really do die to themselves. And once they die to themselves and they're resurrected... They're entering into this, and they then have that peace that passes understanding. This is a a powerful text, really. And notice what it says at the end of verse 14 again. Knowing that he who raised up Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, and will present us with you. Again, that's not about me, Paul says. It's about you. It's about the person that he's ministering to. And then look at the end of verse 15. For all things are for, what does it say? Your sakes. Your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So there is this focus on you, your sakes, but ultimately it's not about him and it's not even about them. It's about enlisting everyone to give what? Glory 
to God. <laughs> Why do we give glory to God? Because of His great love. Because He doesn't just talk about these things. He actually entered into these things. He doesn't talk to you about, oh yeah, you know, suck it up, cupcake. You know, I'm up here eating angel food cake while you're down there dying at the stake. No, that's not what he did. He actually came down into the plague. He came down and entered into it. This is the whole idea. He became sin, the Bible says. He came in the likeness of sinful human flesh, the Bible says. He was not ashamed to call them brethren. He came down and he went through the trauma. And that's why we give glory to God. He broke every quarantine law. I'm not saying you should do that. You're not divine. He was human and divine. But he broke every single law. How many thankful he broke every single quarantine law? I read just a tear-jerking article last week about the people in Italy who were dying. And this article said, they all die alone. Now in hospitals, even here in this country, I was on a conference call yesterday with some hospital administrators. We're on the call. No family allowed in. Even in this country. People are so traumatized and not letting family in, even when people are dying. And in Italy, the article was, they die alone. But that's not true if you know Jesus. That's not true if you know Jesus. He's with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's your brother. In fact, in Matthew 12, he says, he's your father. He's your mother. He's your brother. He's your sister. No one understands like Jesus. And you never have to be alone. And to this and for this, we give glory to God. The glory of God. For which cause, verse 16, notice his peace under pressure. Therefore, or for which cause, we do not lose heart. Oh, these are beautiful verses. So we don't lose heart. What's it mean to lose heart? The heart is like the seat of the emotions. We don't lose it emotionally. We don't lose heart. We don't become hopeless. Why? Because though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, this traumatic time in history and in this country, perhaps in your life, even though it might look like you're dying, you actually could be coming to life for the very first time. Even though it looks outwardly bad, inwardly, God can do amazing things at these times. How many want that to happen? And this is what happened to Paul. Are you beginning to see why it is that he can have such peace? 
Our light affliction, he says here, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. If you come to know Christ and you accept him, you will have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like good news. Even if you were to die from COVID-19 or anything else, and you had a quick death or a lingering death, it's nothing compared to how long eternity is. And if during that light affliction, you come to know the one who was afflicted for you, and you accept him, you'll live eternally. That's a blessed hope. Verse 18, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are you beginning to see how it was that Paul had such peace. How many of you are beginning to see it? What was our text again? <clears throat> Let's read it again. We are hard pressed, verse 8 and 9. On every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And now we know why. He had a purpose. He had a perspective. And because of it, he had peace. And that's something you can have right now and today by accepting him into your life. I need to do that. And I need to do it every day. And I need to do it every moment. What's the song say? I need the Every hour. What's the other song saying? Moment by moment. I'm kept in his care. And in this moment, we can accept Christ anew into our hearts. Would you like to do that again today? I found this very hopeful as I read the book on PTSD by Dr. Connick. He said this, 94% of those who experience a traumatic stressor that seriously threatens their own life or the life of their loved ones do not develop PTSD. Most people don't even develop it. And you most assuredly will be buffered against it if you take the apostles' advice from today. How many want to be in that group? And then the other thing that really hit me from this book. It is only during times of pain and suffering that people are willing to change. In fact, the brain and central nervous system are known to be more plastic and malleable at times of high stress. Perhaps at this time in your life, 
the trauma that's happening in society and the world will not be lost because you'll make changes that you never thought possible before. My wife said to me the other day, I've been telling you for years to wash your hands. I've been telling you for years. And she went through a list, which I am uncomfortable to even mention. But then even she herself, I even had a list for her. I've noticed this also. I've noticed this also. And I want to share some testimonies of what's been happening to people during this time in the second service today of how God is actually becoming more important to people in this world at this time. And people are not proclaiming there is God, is no God right now. They're saying, I believe there is one or I hope there is one. In fact, I read an article the other day about the new atheists who wrote all these books against God. And the whole article was, no one's listening to them now. No one wants to listen to somebody who doesn't think there's any God or any hope. Nobody. Because there is a God. And there is hope. Although I don't believe he caused this, I do believe he allowed it. And though I, don't, and though I believe he allowed it, that doesn't mean he hasn't experienced it. Because he came down and went through trauma for you and me. And if you think your heart's heavy, I'm sure his is heavier still. But how many of you don't want to let the moment go by without letting God change something in your heart or in your mind at this time? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful today for the fact that we do have a Father and that there is a heaven. But also that we have a brother who came down and understands and was at one with us in suffering and pain and died, but rose again. Though our outward man may be perishing, may our inward man be renewed. And we thank you for the coming Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.